to the Padawan Perspective Podcast, a multi-generational Star Wars experience. Brought to you by the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Division Podcast Network. With your hosts, Mark, Barrett, Taylor, and Farrow. Join us as we discuss the Rebels TV show on Disney XD, as well as Star Wars fandom across the galaxy. On the Padawan Perspective, the multi-generational podcast of the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Podcast Division. All right, welcome to the Padawan Perspective, the Star Wars Report Second Airborne's multi-generational podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Herleman, and with me today, my Padawans, Taylor Jade. Hey. And Gavin Davis. Hey. And we have fellow Jedi Master Baron Lawton and his son, Pharaoh. It's good to be back, fellow Jedi and Padawans. Always good to be back. Always good to have you guys back here, too. It's fun. It's already feeling like a family event every time we get together. I'm looking forward to the insights that the Lawton family has for us today. All right, let's just jump right in. Taylor, go ahead and give us the quick rundown on the synopsis here. Okay. Rebel Season 3, Episode 6, Iron Squadron. It aired on November 19, 2016 on Disney XD. Written by Matt M., directed by Saul R., Synopsis. Ezra and Sabine team up to tame a young rogue hotshot pilot and his crew who recklessly risk their lives in a fight to defend their home world from Imperial occupation. I'm having the hardest time saying yes. Really? You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Again, we have a synopsis or description of a show that's not very big. I think that we had some pretty big players in this episode, right? Some pretty big applications. Soto can be caught off guard and pulled into a trap by simply kidnapping some one of his family members. Thrawn is continually messing with our rebels now. Well, I thought it was a pretty good episode, but this is like one of a lot of times that the rebels had to save another one of their like their team members because this happened with Hera. Right? Whenever she tried to go on her mission to save her family, and then they had to, like, save her. This 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 happens a lot. No, you're right, Pharaoh. It's a dangerous, dangerous formula. I mean, for the rebels themselves, if they continue to do this, and it, and it looks like Thrawn's pretty much laid the, the outline of their doom, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time before he sets all the dominoes up in the right way where he's going to catch them all. I mean, I keep thinking about Rogue One with Mon Mothma going up to Bale going, hey, what about your Jedi friend? When it's like, well, what about the three Jedi you have on roll? Like, you've got three Jedi in this cell. Why aren't you using them? I uh, kind of think Thrawn might have a hand in the reason why. Again, how cool is it to have Thrawn we have Thrawn in Rebels. I don't think this is sat in with the rest of the Star Wars community on how important this is. Thrawn is coming in again. 
He's going to get these rebels. Every time he comes in, I keep I keep having this fear that someone is going to die. Someone is going to get caught. It's only a matter of time before Thrawn's net catches them. And every time he shows up, I'm thinking, is this the time? Is this the time? They got away again. But it's coming. And the rebels are constantly being put put um at risk because Thrawn is always like he's he every other episode he's there and he's there as a main role rather than just kind of a, a side character so it's it, it always you always do have to worry like is this gonna be the time or is that gonna be the time or every time he appears we had some good space battle a subtle reference to Dash Rendar, his outridership. Uh, I think that's cool. They they call it Sato's hammer, which I think is kind of cool. Um, you know, there, people have talked about you know, well, what if it was Rendar's ship? Well, of course, you know that's legends. This is canon. Um, so I, I think it's cool that they've taken that and they've reformulated it and they've brought it back in a sense. You know, we've seen a twenty four hundred freighter in the uh, special editions of A New Hope. So you know, the freighter it's been around in canon for a while, but seeing it actually being used like this and now having a character model for the ship in the show. I, that's just one more of those elements that I, I kind of hope to see this ship show up in a lot of other ways. Um, maybe even some variants on this and even the YT-1300, the Millennium Falcon-style freighter. Uh, you know, they were a very popular ship at one point, so seeing some of those around the galaxy would be kind of cool. I did like also the way that the crew of the Iron Squadron... See, and, and I have a hard time thinking them as a squadron and thinking of Sato's hammer as the Iron Squadron. That was kind of where my head originally was, was I was seeing the ship as the Iron Squadron, it seems odd to name a squadron of, you know, the group of one people. It'd be, well, I guess, I guess it's not that weird though. It's the same thing that the Ghost is doing. They're all, you know, Spectre one, two, three, and four, and so I guess it's not that odd. But yeah, I thought it was kind of cool that they took the crates and stuff and they used those as weapons against the Empire. It was like, oh, suddenly now anybody that's that's moving any kind of freight, there is a reason why the Empire would actually shake them down because now you can't trust them. You know, the question I had all throughout this episode was, like, what is the Iron Squadron? Is it is it the ship? Is it, like, the people? Is, like, what is it? No, it's the people. See, I, I had thought it was the ship, too, but if you go to Star Wars Wiki, you find out the ship's actually named Santos Hammer. So it, it's just like with the ghost ship itself, you know, the ghost being the ship. We've got the Phantom. It's also the ship. And we've got the Spectres inside of it. we got Spectre 1, which is Hera. Kanan's Spectre 2. Uh, so it's the same thing here. You've got Sato's Hammer. It's their ship. They are all the Iron Squadron. Um, though I don't I don't know. Did they ever call them like Iron 1 or anything like that? I don't think no. they gave each other. No, they were just they just went by the Iron Squadron. So it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting, but also different because our rebels, even though they're on the ghost ship, they're part of Phoenix Squadron. And we've know we've heard them go into battle and call themselves Phoenix Squadron One, Phoenix Squadron Two, haven't we? Haven't other people in their squadron? Yeah. They're not the only one in Phoenix Squadron. No, Hera Hera runs Phoenix Squadron. Right. So this is this I've been like this is I've a been little trying different. to figure out how the cell works because we don't know who the leader. I've been assuming that this cell that the rebels are working for has been involved with Bale. And Bale has taken somewhat of a leadership role, but it's like, is Bale in charge of this cell? Like, that really hasn't been established like it was in Legends. In Legends, we had three major architects to the rebellion. It was Mon Mothma, uh, Bell Iblis, which was a character that mainly came from the EU, and Bail Organa. And the three of them came together, and when they came together, that was really the solidification of the Rebel Alliance. At this point, the Rebels haven't really made the formal Rebel Alliance. That's a lot closer 
to Rogue One than it is to Rebels. So we still haven't really seen that. And that, that's something that I haven't quite figured out how the structure of the Rebel Cell is working. It's almost like it's still in its complete infancy at this rate. So it's kind of not solidified. But yeah, I think that that by doing it the way they did, it raises a lot of those questions because we're like, well, so how does that work? You know, <laughs> like how how's their pecking order go? We have four new characters who make up the I- the Iron Squadron. We have the leader who is Mort, and Mort is Commander Sato's nephew. So I believe his name is Mort Sato, and he's he's the pilot. We have the female crew member Goody, who is I'm not too sure what kind of what species she is, but she looks a lot like the new singer in the new edition for Jabba's Palace. That that singer, oh, yeah, looks kind of like her, right? So I'm not sure who what what species she is, but that's definitely her, I think. And we have Jonner, who's kind of the big muscle goofball. We get introduced to a new droid, R3. As Padawans, what do you guys think about these new characters coming in? Seeing Goody, a new species to me, I thought like she looked really cool. And, like, yeah, it was, like, kind of seeing Sabine for the first time. Like, she has her own personality. And, like, when I first saw her, I thought she was going to be, like, one of those, like, rude, snobby people. But then, like, she turned around and was all like, no, we, sh- we should go with them. Him, let's back out of this. This isn't a good idea. So she saw reason first, huh? I liked R3 because he was a cool t- type of droid and... I don't think I've seen a droid with that type of, like, weird head thing. R3 should move over and let Chopper, a more competent droid, take over the repairs? Or were you like, Chopper should back off, it's R3's ship, R3's got this? I would go for Chopper because I like Chopper more. R3's like a new person and you don't know what he could do. Like, Chopper has these arms and R3 only has something that pops out of his chest. Honestly, I don't know because I... This is going to sound rude, but I don't really pay a lot of attention to the droids. I kind of just focus on the species kinds. So Okay, so you I like, like the alien designs? I like how she doesn't – she she would not serve their kind if she owned a bar. Yeah, she's just that. like, oh, they're droids. <laughs> yeah. I don't like droids. They're worse than sand. They get everywhere. You know R3 had a hard job on the Soto's Hammer, man. That, that ship was toast. See, I was not a fan of Mart. I was kind of like, you know, I, I I felt like they needed to cut their losses and and deliver a hard impact lesson for the kids watching the show. Like, you know, if you're going to be a pompous a-hole, you're going to just get left behind. <laughs> the fact that they came back for him, I that's kind of where I get worried for the crew of the Rebels because it's like, you know, Sato was more than willing to do it by himself. But they weren't they weren't going to let him do that. And so it's just like all you have to do now is get Sato to commit and they'll all go with him blindly. I mean, that's a scary recipe for disaster. I think I think Mart, like his character, is just kind of a, a, a sarcastic, like, you know, like smug kind of guy. And, you know, he didn't really listen to the rebels. He just went off on his own plan and then he got kidnapped in the process. So, like, I, um, I, I, I don't know. I think he just, he doesn't seem like a very, like, helpful character in the future. But did you like his haircut? It was, it was very similar to Ezra's. He did have a mane. At the very beginning of the episode, there was a part where they were getting the transmission, like, a ship full of Ezra's. And, like, I don't know what it was about it, but the way he said it just made me start laughing really hard. Because it was, like, when he first said it, 
I was all like, is that a little kid? And then he's all like, that sounds like a ship full of Ezra's. And I was like, oh, my gosh. He did have a, a, a hint of dejection in his voice. You know, another thing, too, that, that I'm surprised you haven't brought up yet was the way Sabine kept giving Mart a hard time because every ship Mart came up against was a Star Destroyer. He would tell everybody it was a Star Destroyer. And she's like, that's not a Star Destroyer. And when the Star Destroyer finally shows up, she's like, that's a Star Destroyer. You're like, oh, oh, get out of there now. And I think like that's where one of the things is like Mart did not ever realize how in over his head he was. He had been lucky through a series of events and it overinflated his ego. You know, he had that sense of invincibility, that superiority. And when the rest of the rebels, these seasoned rebels, these dude, hey, you know, no disrespect, but you're just a young kid. You're in over your head. You need to come with us. And he's like, no, this is my home. I can defend it. And they're like, you know, you haven't seen the other shoe drop. We've seen the other shoe drop. It's coming. That, again, gets back to that recipe that, man, had Thrawn played this a little bit better, had he not been testing and actually laying a trap, he could have got them all. I mean, he's he's figured out for sure he'll be able to get them all. He just now has to set the trap. But had he just been trying to and setting the trap then and there, it had been over. That would have been it for the Rebels. And what makes the that moment more poignant is that it's Ezra who's telling him, we have to go. It's Ezra who has kind of grown up and he sees, you know, he's able to make better decisions. What was weird was, um, I did, I wondered where Zeb and Kanan went because they like took two A wings onto the planet, and I wondered where they went. No, I don't even, I don't even remember much beyond that. I mean, I think all of a sudden they were back with the rest of the crew. Like, I remember Hera telling them to go somewhere. And I saw the Phantom going and heading down to the planet with the two A-Wings. That's all I remember. I know I know what I, I had a hard time with Mart's name because I kept thinking they were calling him Mark at first. And then I was like, are they calling him Mart or like Walmart? Or is yeah, it like, are they calling him Mark? <laughs> like, I was like really having a hard time because like each actor would say his name just a little bit different. I'm like, all right. And. But I did. I thought it was kind of a cool way to, to introduce Sato having family. You know, a lot of shows will do that where you'll follow a character and you not realize that they've got family. And then all of a sudden, bam, they interject the family. I think that worked out really well in this regard. Why at like the end of it did Thrawn let them go? Like he does that a lot. He just like watches them escape. Okay, so Thrawn in Legends was such a genius that he could look at a piece of art, like this sculpture of Minas Tirith sitting on our desk, right? And he could look at that and he could tell you what planet it came from. He could tell you what sculptor made it because of the techniques of how the statues are made, right? So he would say like, okay, see the, the structure of this building right here? That's Roman, uh, you know, and he could tell you where the guy had came from, what kind of history he had, and then he could tell you weaknesses of the culture based off of the art. Well, he, yes, he is like a mind reader for art. He is using things that he knows and the things he can find from art to set a stage that makes a trap. So through this episode, Thrawn has found a way to lure the rebels together. 
Okay, so like if you're going to take out an ant's nest, you're going to want to have all the ants together so you just wipe them out all at once, not have them spread out because you flooded the nest with a bunch of water and then you can't kill all the ants at once. And that's in a sense what he's doing. He's trying to find ways to get the rebels to come together all at once so he can stomp them out. There was this thing that we were learning in school in social studies and we're talking – oh, what war was it? It was. It's about the 13 colonies and – the uh, colonists were going against British. the British. And so by going against them, they went after the leaders, kind of. And if you don't have your leader, they all kind of just, like, start to give up because they have no idea what to do. So they were <laughs> they were sniping them. No, no, and that makes sense, too. And and, and that's kind of what, what she's describing is what the rebels are doing, which is guerrilla warfare. You know, they're they're striking at precision targets. Yeah. Well, so so Thrawn, he's trying to find a way to bring a guerrilla warfare style enemy out to the into the open so he can take them out. Okay. The rebels, because at this point they don't have a structured leadership, they are constantly disappearing. Every time they come, they're they're gone again. They can't they can't locate them. So part of why he let them go is because he's trying to figure out the trap. But he didn't just let let them go. I mean, he, he did try to get them. The rebels did have some amount of luck and the force on their side. And we've seen, like I mentioned before, that he was willing to sacrifice one of his commanders, one of his underlings. And we also learned that he's willing to sacrifice his underlings. He sent Admiral Constantine out there with one ship as bait. And you could see in Constantine's face that he was going out there as bait. And that's pretty cold-blooded, Thrawn. Pretty cold-blooded, man. So I know one thing that stood out that Pharaoh had brought up was the food that they were eating. You know, That was kind of, what did you call that? That pizza? Honey sandwiches. <laughs> I thought it looked like a beehive, like, Dorito. <laughs> exactly what I said. And, you know, like, it, since I, whenever I saw that, that really made me question, like, what do they eat out there? Like, what is their space food? Because you never really see um, the rebels. You never really see them eat anything. So it, it's like, do they eat that, like, regularly? They drink a lot. Maybe their nutrition comes from their cantina drinks. You know, that's a very good question. We've seen this honeycomb pizza thing. In Empire, we've seen kind of like a Slim Jim beef jerky thing that they were eating. So it doesn't <laughs> seem like anything is very appetizing in the Star Wars universe know about nerf steaks uh you almost wonder if they've got like a tube paste like like nasa uses i know legacy uh, or uh kotor they had where was it marn griff and zane they actually started their own little kitchen on a ship and they were going with the fleet feeding the fleet so it was kind of like oh they're like a, one of those little traveling mini market kind of things one thing I liked about it was how the ghost circles back and uses a magnetic lock to capture the YT-2400 freighter and make a run for the Imperial cruiser. Oh, when it, yeah, when it came and grabbed it at the end. Now, what did you think about the fact that, that uh, Mart was stuck inside that ship the whole time? Like, he was just completely sitting there. Did you think at all, like, you know, if they don't come and get him, he's going to be completely captured? Or did you think, like, they might shoot him out of the air? Or did you think for sure you thought, oh, you, you thought he was going to be Patsy no matter what? I thought they might, like, capture him for answers, like how Darth Vader did the use that one droid thing with Princess Leia. But do you think that Mart would have a lot of information that the Empire would, would like? Or do you think he's got very little? very little from the impression i got was that like they don't spend very much time together and stuff by the way they hugged at the very end honestly i don't think he would really give any information that was really needed and stuff 
or like he would probably play them and like act like he had information when he really didn't. So what Thrawn did in this episode was really the only way he could have played it because had he got Mart, the rebels probably would have wrote Mart off knowing he doesn't have any information to give and the only thing that Mart's good for in the hands of the Empire is bait to get Sato there. Which, of course, is what happened anyway, but at least the way it went down, Sato felt there was a chance to succeed and went after it. It would have been a totally different thing. Again, it gets back to the brilliance of Thrawn. He played it just right. And I like the exchange that Sato and Thrawn have. I like how Sato didn't back down from Thrawn. I wondered what it would take to motivate you to return to Makapo. Then now you know. Until we meet again. Yes, until we meet again. Like, I, there was a really cool camaraderie there between them. You know, I, I think anybody who's going up against Thrawn, if you have any idea about his battle tactics, you're automatically like, he's like the Red Baron. I'm like, that's like an ultimate kudos. Like, Sato's like, hey, hey, I don't know about the rest of you rebels, but I'm somebody. <laughs> I've got like a big, big old reward on my head. Before we end, I had something to say. Chopper and R3, so they were on the outside of Sato's hammer. They were taking off the bomb. Chopper hit our three off, and then, so I don't exactly remember what happened, but this is all that I put. Chopper hit our three off, and he shocked. I don't know what that meant, but all I remember is that one of them shocked each other, and it could not stop laughing. Well, and, and R3 was shocked when he got shoved off. I think what jumped out to me to that scene, it made me ponder something bigger overall. We see Chopper outside in outer space and chopper's rocket comes from down between his legs r2d2 when we see r2d2 with them they come out of the legs themselves now r3 seems more like r2 than chopper who is a c1 and yet r3 had the same type of rocket pack set up as chopper so i my brain started thinking about that as to why you know, why they would have it there, what would be the benefits of having it there, and why, if the chopper is such an old model, why an R3 model would still have it and not an R2. You would think the R2 model would have it like the C1 and that the R3 would have it like a, you know, like it'd be different. So I, it was one of those things I was thinking about. Thanks, oh. Tay, for reminding me of that. Maybe it's like an upgrade. <laughs> Maybe it's an upgrade? Yeah, like R2 used to have the one between his legs and. Now oh. they have it, like, out, so, like, it was an old type of rocket, and now R2 has a new Okay, one. I could take that, that, that R2 had the original one removed for like more this. components and stuff. See, Legends had a thing where R2 units had the the most sensitive data banks. You could not encrypt them, and so they've stored a lot of information on them. That was kind of cool. R2, he's owned by, like, a princess, I think, so he might get uh, an upgrade that all the other droids don't have. Princess Leia might have, like, a lot of money or credits and stuff no really leia should have pimped them out i mean she was an active member of the rebellion i mean look what cassie and andor did with a k2 droid she should have done more with r2 i'm, I'm with you on that what i do think, you think she girl? might have i think gavin might be onto something because there was a story of how c-3po got his gold shell how he got his gold paint and i think it was because he was in service to leia so it makes sense that she would give him the upgrades but i'll tell you what i thought r3 was a goner when he, they were outside of that ship trying to get that detonator off, and none of the Iron Squadron had gotten injured or ate it yet, I, I thought the droid was gone. I thought he was toast. Especially after we've gotten all these droids in Rebels recently, I'm thinking they're not going to let another droid join, right? No, I was wrong. I did see a oh. cartoon where it had like... Anakin and Leia and C-3PO had a cloak on and Leia just bought him a new gold coat and stuff. 
Was it Padme? Are you talking Clone Wars, the Gendy series? Yeah, that was the that was Padme. So yeah, I guess he got it way before she, that. She had <laughs> a very similar Princess Leia look. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Show, I'll show it to you. It's Gendy. So with that, Padawans, do we have any final thoughts on Iron Squadron? Well, I, I like this one. I was a little conflicted. Uh, unlike these two that can't get, get their thoughts in order. I, I I think there were parts of it that I was annoyed with, and I think that that's because I'm finally I'm, I'm over that hill where even though I might think like a teenager, I also look back at the things I did as a teenager with some annoyance and find things that some teenagers do annoying. And I found Mart just graded against me. I kept wanting him to, to learn a hard lesson. I wanted him to teach the viewers a hard lesson. Uh, you know, respect your elders, damn it. When they say get in the car – get in the car <laughs> so uh but i did i did overall i liked i liked the themes that this brings up with the aspect of what's going on with the rebellion it's setting up something going on with thrawn you know we we feel the net getting tighter uh and this one really did that uh you know season two of prison break is it's one of those where you're just like, oh, my God. And that's kind of how this episode felt for the rebellion overall. I really felt like the noose is getting tight on these guys. Like it's I don't think that the entire group is going to make it through this season. I think someone is going down. I thought it was good because the rebels keep on saving more and more people and they like join the rebellion. So they're like building up a, like a new rebellion that has once fallen by the bad guys and stuff. Well, no, that makes sense. I mean, the Confederacy, in a sense, was the rebellion. Only Palpatine set it up that they were rebelling for bad reasons. The reasons why they should be rebelling hadn't happened yet, so they looked like bad guys. Overall, I think it was a pretty good episode, except Mart was getting annoying at some moments. Otherwise, it was a pretty good episode. All right, so if you had to give it a number between 1 and 10, and 10 is the best, what would you say? Probably like a between a 6 and a 5. Solid, okay. 7. Seven. I, I think I would give it a five. I think it's right in the middle for me. I think this was a pretty solid episode. They had some good components in this episode. They And like Gavin said, they're trying to build up the new rebellion. That's uh, kind of what I like about these more recent episodes. And I thought this was uh, probably a five. It's right in the middle for me. Yeah, I'm right there. I'd, I'd probably say a six. It had Thrawn. The only thing for me that this episode did was we got more Thrawn. As far as these characters coming back in a certain way and and doing something significant for the rebellion i'm not so sure that's going to happen it doesn't seem like they're brave i'll give them that iron squadron is brave and maybe we'll see the ship again i don't think that ship is going anywhere it has a little bit of personality i think they they did that on purpose but these characters i'm not so sure that they made such an impact for for the rebellion for them to join the rebellion what they did was they gave thrawn another tool for him to use in his fight against the rebellion you gave me something to think about though like like what if we see mart again as a fighter pilot or something in a later you know not not even this show on another show or another movie or something along those lines like you know the snap wexley character you know he just was somebody but then all of a sudden you found out in the books he had an origin in the books and that stuff and you're like oh the character's got more going on over there I hadn't thought about that, but I mean, they could go on to play more of a key role and especially Mart because of the family connection. I mean, if anyone's going to have an in with the rebel leadership, it's going to be Mart. Mm. If he just proves himself like Ezra's done. Padawans, I think we've got your perspective on the Iron Squadron. Why don't you join us next time when we talk about the Wakaki job, Wanaku job, what is it called? <laughs> the Wakataka Taka Job? 
The Wakanda the, I'm job. walking off this job. <laughs> Join us next week for that. And and I know you have a few things you can say where to find us, where to find more of us. This wraps up this episode of the Padawan's Perspective. We'd like to thank everyone who joined us today. You can find our episodes directly on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. So for the Padawan's Perspective, this has been Mark. Taylor. Gavin. Pharaoh. And Barrett. Until next time, I'm sure everything will go horribly wrong. Bum, bum, bum. Thank you for listening to our show. For more content, please like our Facebook and Twitter pages. Theme song by Subconscious Tunes. Announcements by Brock. Sponsored by War Machine Marketing. Remember, you can find the Padawan Perspective and all the Star Wars Report Second Airborne Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Does, like, Darth Vader, like, sometimes come back and then leave and then come back and then leave again? He's a busy guy. Did he come into this episode? <laughs> no, he didn't. They didn't like, he was that one speck in the back corner. I saw him. He showed up. They haven't even mentioned him since since Thrawn showed up. They have not even mentioned yeah. Vader. So, so you're wondering then, then why – this, I take it, is a general Star Wars question more so than just Rebels, right? You're talking like also him showing up in Rogue One. The way I want to answer this is that when Vader came out in 1977, he had the Boba Fett effect. You know, you didn't have to know anything about him, but he was the baddest bad guy that had ever came around. No, but what Boba Fett has is a similar lasting power. Boba Fett didn't do anything. and He became a fan favorite for a lot of people. Uh, whereas Vader actually did do a lot more stuff than Boba Fett ever did. But since we've had the shows and we've had the TV shows, the uh, the prequels and stuff, we've learned more about Vader that kind of emasculate or de-emasculates him. You know, he becomes the mustache twirling villain. He becomes a lot more like General Grievous where he gets really close to getting the bad guys, but he never captures the bad guys. They always get away. And so they're trying to find ways to to put Vader into the story to recapture that menace of Darth Vader without him being the one to fail all the time because if he's always there but he never catches the rebels well then he's he's not really good at being a bad guy you know but if you have him always show up and he always wins well then what are you going to do and it, that's the same thing that they're playing with thrawn right now is thrawn is so smart that he's always the guy that always wins and so that's where, where it gets to what it, taylor was asking earlier of why did he let him go he's testing they were, okay, it was you. Well, he's testing them. Whereas Vader, he doesn't test. Vader just comes in and he's a wrecking ball of destruction. So they've got to be – yes, he came in like a wrecking ball. So they've got to be very careful with that because if they have him coming in all the time, then he's just going to decimate everything. So they've got to do it kind of liberally. They've got to sprinkle him over here and sprinkle him over there. Does that make any sense? Does that answer your question? Barely. Yeah. Barely. <laughs> we'll take that. Yes, we'll take it. That's a win. Okay.